Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the September 10th episode, and as always, we remain dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRand, and today we have someone I always wanted to have on the mailbag, Jim Sonis, senior writer and analyst for Number Fire FanDuel. Jim is the DFS man. He can do DFS for what you're going to have for dinner. He can do DFS who you're going to get a fight with at the family party. The guy covers it all. Football, baseball, NASCAR, golf. We're going to talk DFS. We're going to talk fantasy football. We're going to talk betting all for week one to get you ready for the fantasy football season. Please follow him on Twitter at Jim Sonnes, S-A-N-N-E-S. Jim, it's great to finally have you on the bag. How you doing? Thank you for having me, Mike. This is exciting for me, too. You know, as someone who has listened to the show plenty of times throughout his life, I'm uh, pretty pumped to be asked to be on and pumped to talk to you in week one. We actually have, like, real things to discuss. This is kind of wild. I'm excited about it. You know, Jim, it's great to have you on, and we're going to get to your bold prediction at the end of the show, but I remember back one year ago, this time, Rich Rebar, bold prediction, he said, we're going to play all 16 games, and he was right about that. So it's just (laughs) great to have football back. Week one is upon us. Great time of year. Fans in the stands still got to be careful, but we're moving forward and coming forward now to the start of another great fantasy football season. Look, you're at Number Fire, one of the best in the business. Number Fire FanDuel putting out so much content, betting content, fantasy content. You got a YouTube show you do as well, podcast, the whole thing. So just talk about Number Fire, all the great things you, you guys have going on, how the last year went, challenges with COVID, and where you're at, man, because you've been putting out some great, great stuff for a long, long time. Uh, yeah, we had like Madden streams yes. and like I I played Madden when I was younger. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I have no desire to talk about it. So I'm glad that we are out of the pandemic because that was I would get like get like swamp butt yes, from like sitting yes. there like for so long. So I'm glad that's gone uh, for this year. We've got a lot of YouTube stuff, very YouTube centric. We're going to be having Q&A's, I think, pretty much every weekday on uh, the FanDuel YouTube page. Monday Night Football Preview, Thursday Night Football Preview, Tuesday Waiver Wire Show with me, me and JJ Zacharyson. Uh, Friday, we have a snake draft show with uh, me, yep. JJ, and Brandon Gadula, you know, doing a, a three-person snake draft, keeping track as the year goes along. So a lot of stuff on YouTube, but then we'll also have our DFS podcast every Monday and Thursday up on the Number Fire Daily Fantasy Podcast feed. Betting show twice a week, starting next week for a college show and an NFL show with Dr. Ed Feng of thepowerrank.com. So yeah, we're going to be pretty busy, but like fun busy. So like, I know it's like, 
in vogue to like complain about workload this time of year but like also i'd rather be i'd rather have fun busy than like oh my gosh i hate my work busy so this is this is pretty exciting for me oh absolutely we're not gonna sleep this week it's a labor of love but nothing better and you do so many things at FanDuel. you cover dfs in so many ways golf nascar i'm just curious you can go anywhere you want with this question what are, what's the easiest? What's the hardest? What are the nuances that you've learned from each one? Because you really have gotten into theory, game theory, in each one of these sports. I think it's fascinating. So give us some thoughts here on the variety of sports that you cover and exactly how you find strengths and weaknesses and challenges along the way in the multi-sports for DFS here on Number Fire FanDuel. So I think that there's a perception that NASCAR is super tough and it is because it's volatile, but I would say it's probably the easiest one from an analysis perspective because there are only 40 players you can use, 40 drivers. And like, whereas with NFL, there are 40 wide receivers you can use at one position. So like it kind of narrows things yeah. down. A lot of those guys are just not relevant. So you can kind of cross them off and your your research is very narrow. Things translate well week to week. So uh, it's very strategy based. So I think that NASCAR, if I had to deem one as being easiest from an analysis perspective, not from like a profitability perspective because it is super volatile, but I would say uh, NASCAR is probably the easiest. Tough one is NFL mm-hmm. because like there are just so many moving yep. pieces. Things change constantly throughout the week. So we have our DFS preview show Thursday. I'm glad we now have this YouTube show on Fridays because like things are going to change between Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that the moving pieces, the depth of knowledge you need to have for NFL is toughest. So I think that to me, football is the toughest because I don't do any basketball analysis. I would say that if, if I did, uh, I I'm lucky, lucky to just play the NBA DFS and not analyze it. But I think the football is probably the toughest of the ones that I do do. That's what I would think. Cause there's so many variables, yeah. but I believe Jim and you're extremely successful. One of the most successful people out there. And I would think there are some commonalities. Yeah. So I'm curious what my next question I went this summer to a sort of amusement park with my kids and I saw a many games of skill and chance. Okay. And I'm firmly aware, Jim, that for my two children, it seems like the rings can just be thrown on top of the <laughs> bottle to win the stuffed animal. That's the size of the right. wall. But three or four buckets later, none of the rings had landed on the bottle. So I want to talk about your DFS lineups starting, you know, obviously maybe a Thursday, Sunday game. What do you typically do with the money that's left over? Because I'm sure like everyone else, I suffer from, oh, I got $1,100 left. Well, I got to use that. As if the top priced option in every position is a guarantee to give you three or four X. How much do you recommend? What do you think? Because that is, you know, people pick their players and they go through their process. But just like everyone else, I sit there and go, I can't leave that much on the on the plate. What do you normally do with that process? I think it really depends on what kind of game you're playing. If it's a game where there are a lot of duplicated lineups, a lot of overlap, I'm very much inclined to leave salary on the table there because it's just one more way you can be different without being stupid. And I think that that's that's enticing. So single game slates, you are almost always leaving salary on the table because pretty much every combination that uses the salary cap will be used. And like realistically you're not going to find a lot of ways to be unique regardless, but like doing whatever you can in like a showdown single game slate to make sure your lineup is not duplicated. Cause like your expected value goes down a lot if you can't get the top prize solo. So finding ways to be different there, I think is great for NASCAR. You'll see a lot of duplicated lineups. So I think that there is 
heavy inclination towards leaving salary on the table there. But for like Sunday's slate in the NFL, I, I'm not going to care too much personally. I'm going to make the best team I possibly can. And I, like, because the odds that I, I get duped on that one or the odds that every single lineup is duped are pretty low. I'm going to have unique lineups across across my rosters. So for a full NFL slate where we have you know, eight, nine slots where we can differentiate and be different from the field, the odds we get duplicated are pretty low. So it, it entirely depends on how often you get duplicated lineups. So for, for showdown, single game, definitely going to be differentiating there in terms of how much I leave. NASCAR, same thing. But for a full NFL slate, I really don't care too much. And I find myself using all of it almost all the time. You know, you put a great tweet out a couple of days ago. Again, folks on Twitter, Jim Sonis, and it, it mentioned the past three years, 47 running backs have made a perfect fan duel lineup with a salary of 6,500 or lower. Talk about what you came up with there and the importance of finding the points from those value plays, because I think people tend to maybe skew towards cheaper running backs because they say, I'll just get a couple, get a touchdown. I'll get a goal line carry. You know, my, my love affair with Mike Gillisley years ago, Jim is well documented, (laughs) but it's not quite that easy. Talk about what you found there. Well, Mike Gillisley was the best running back in football that year. So come on, that was fine. That was totally in play. No issues there. But I think the, the key thing to keep in mind is no matter how low the salary is, you need points because your opponents are going to get points. And so like, I think the flaw we get into is looking at things in terms of value. Value is a big trap um, because... If you're trying to get 2x out of a player who is $10,000, it's a lot different than 2x out of a guy who is $5,000. And yes. you just, at some point, your players have to score points regardless of how much value they give you. So if you look back at that, that sample you're talking about, uh, 47 running backs, lower salary, and perfect FanDuel lineups, they average 27 FanDuel points per game. That is a huge number. Yeah. None of them scored less than 17.5. Only two guys scored less than 20 FanDuel points. So basically... When you're looking at a value play, like let's say you're looking at James Robinson on Sunday, ask yourself, can this player score 20 points? And how realistic is it for that player to get 20? If you can't say this player can definitively give me 20 points, don't use them. With Robinson, I think you can because he's facing Houston. So like, you know, that's then he could get some passing game work there for sure. So that, that could happen. But you need to make sure they can get you 20. I don't care if they are minimum salary, $4,500. If they can't get you 20 FanDuel points, they have no business being in your roster. So I think that we get in, we get in these like these the issue we have is we focus on floor. So like Frank Gore had some times a couple years ago where he was like, oh, he's gonna get me, you know, 60 yards and a touchdown. Sick. That's 12 points. Good luck. Like you need 80 yards and two touchdowns if they're a rush only guy or 140 yards and a touchdown. Preferably they get passing game work because the route to 20 points is a lot clearer there. So just keep in mind value doesn't matter with the low salary backs. You need points. And I think 20 points to me is a cutoff. So what you're saying, Jim, if I understand this right, is if we make out our lineups and you have to find a running back, you know, the move is not to say, oh, I'll take this guy. He's safe at running yeah. back. He won't bonk for me. Yeah. You need to go for the player. Frank Gore is the perfect example. And gosh, I mean, we love Frank. Or how do you not respect Frank <laughs> Gore? But he is not a guy that you want to go cheap on at running back because he's not going to hit that upper end. It's got to be a real home run swing, not a safe swing in those right. situations. Exactly. And typically that's via passing game volume because that's the easiest way to unlock a ceiling is by getting work through the air. But you do need to focus on ceiling. And I think that's true for cash games too. We 
we talk a lot about floor for cash games, but like I want guys who can erase the mistakes I will make elsewhere. Cause like I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up. Like I'm gonna make mistakes. I want dudes who can make up for the mistakes that I make, and floor plays don't do that. Ceiling plays can. In your best ball leagues, and Jim, it's very sad. I've not I've done my last best ball league, whether it's at underdog or a fantasy, oh. FFPC, wherever you go. Who are some of the season-long players in your best bowl leagues that you liked? Here at Rotoviz, you know, using all our great tools, LaVisca Chenault is the guy that we focused on. Liked him last year. We had a couple moments there. Remember against the Vikings, I think it was? He caught a ball that was tipped in the end zone, and we all went nuts. But I like what I call the aggressive slot guy. I can see Visca, you know, getting that short behind-the-line pass and breaking tackles or – I think he could be the top receiver there. It's possible. So who are some players like that, best bowl leagues that maybe are not early that you were getting saying exactly what you just mentioned, they have that upside to have a, a big, big year? So you're saying you're to blame for LaVisca's increasing 100%. ADP. Okay, well. It is so- Visca season here, and that could be the title <laughs> of this podcast. It's Visca season here at Rotoviz. We are waiting for him to drop 100 yards and two touchdowns on those Texans in week one. Okay, <laughs> direct your ire uh, to Mike. All ire goes <laughs> to Mike for LaVisca going higher in drafts. I think if we're looking like – True late round guys, I'm looking at players who have the potential to have roles. And it's a little bit different for season long than for DFS because you're not as focused on ceiling type plays. You want guys who are going to have a role in good situations. So Giovanni Bernard, I think, is is very likely to have that that pass catching role in an offense that will throw the ball very efficiently. Obviously, the target share available is not huge in that offense given they've got a lot of dudes, but like I don't view Rob Gronkowski as a major threat to to gobble up a lot of targets. So I would love for OJ Howard to do so because I've got enough OJ Howard scattered across various formats and stuff like that. Uh, but I think Gio Bernard makes sense. I do like Ty Johnson. I, I think that he really fits like like I'm not he's not Raheem Mostert. But like there are similarities in the sense that he is going to a uh, a Shanahan disciple scheme, a LaFleur scheme. He is that speed guy who they want to have in their backfield. Ty Johnson's been getting a lot of run at the first team. His biggest threat right now is Tevin Coleman. I think that Tevin Coleman more so than Michael Carter in that backfield. So Mm -hmm. Ty Johnson's a guy I've been taking to see what that role may wind up being. Brian Edwards is a guy you can still get super late in drafts. Edwards has been getting a lot of hype. I know Derek Carr is not like a top-tier quarterback, but he is a quarterback who can produce fantasy relevancy for guys outside of just Darren Waller. Like we saw mm-hmm. Nelson Aguilar have a lot of relevant weeks last week. Edwards, they had enough faith in him to, to cut John Brown. So I think that uh, I want to look for guys who have a path to having a good role in offenses I like targeting. So I think that Geo fits that, Ty Johnson fits that, Brian Edwards fits that, and they're all guys I do like quite a bit. The Brian Edwards ADP, and it's not just because I have a Raider shirt on today here as we're recording <laughs> the video. That is mystifying to me. He is more than likely the top receiver there. It's not Henry Ruggs, even though whenever the Jets decide to play that cover zero there uh, with Greg Williams and catch a bomb to, to, you know, to blow the number one pick. He is going so late. No one has hopped on the train with him, and he still is a top wide receiver. I love that. Bernard could, he's a guy that I saw his price on FanDuel this week, Bernard. I was, I understand that, you know, there's some questions with the injuries, of course, but right. definitely a later play. Th- those are great calls. Again, you're staying consistent, Jim, the upside on those plays, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just looking for, for guys who have a path to a good game. And I'm not saying like they're guaranteed to have that path come to fruition, but I want there to be a path to them being relevant in their offense. And I think that at least for, for Edwards, 
maybe for Ty Johnson, the path to them gaining that role is decently high probability. So Mr. Zero RB blew my mind on this question. I was embarrassed. Favorite type of morning juice? I offered cranberry orange grapefruit. Sean, of course, goes pineapple, which uh, should have gotten the correct answer sound effect. But what is your choice here for morning juice? Uh, coffee is my morning yes. juice because yes. uh, I, I this is like the biggest sign that I'm old, Mike. I I can't deal with the sugar anymore. Like I mm-hmm. had to cut to like low sugar oatmeal. I can't mm-hmm. have a lot of juice. Like it's very upsetting because I, I used to love orange juice growing up. So if I could pick, I would go orange juice. But like. I just stick to coffee. It's it's a transition from from coffee time to water time, and there's yep. nothing else in between. I am extremely boring when it comes to that, but hey, it's cheap, you know. And it uh, just like I don't know why I just can't handle it anymore, which is very upsetting. But Jim, you have a responsibility to make us all money, so you need some caffeine in the morning <laughs> to right. jumpstart. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to get going right away. Of course, I agree with you. Got to have a cup of coffee in the morning. Yes, absolutely. This pod drops, Jim, Friday morning. So we're going to do the amazing Kreskin here. I did this with Pat Fitzmorris last year with CEH. We talked about how is he going to do the whole thing. Of course, yeah. then he got stuffed at the goal line a couple of times. Never got a goal line carry, it felt like, for the rest <laughs> of the year, whatever. What do you see with Tampa Dallas? A couple of questions I'll throw at you. I'm curious who you like as the best producing wide receiver on Dallas in this game on Thursday night. Are you fading Zeke You know, as a high-priced option in, in Thursday-Sunday slates uh, against Tampa Bay? Jones or Fournette is a big question. Where are you at with Tampa Bay, Dallas? And of course, we're going to hold you to this and grade this to see if it's right on Friday morning. Yes. Well, they're guaranteed to be right. So what could go wrong here? Uh, (laughs) I think that Amari is being overlooked. I understand the love for CeeDee Lamb because CeeDee Lamb is amazing and he's in a great offense. So fun to watch in college and stuff like that. But like it's Amari Cooper and he's still a really good player. We've seen the rapport with him and Dak Prescott in the past. Amari's looked good since he came back from his injury, at least based on, you know, practice film, which has never led us astray. Uh, sure. So I think that Amari is still going to be the top guy in this offense, at least, you know, to start the year off. So I'm expecting a big night from Amari on Thursday. I think that Zeke is a pretty guy, easy guy to gloss over here because like his skill set doesn't mesh well with this matchup. Zach Martin, at least as of now, there's a chance he could play based I'm on- I'm hearing that also, yes. Yeah, because like he needs two negative tests uh, because he's vaccinated. So maybe Zach Martin can play. But e- even if he does play- It's just not a skill mesh with Zeke against a team with such a good uh, rush defense. So I'm okay glossing over Zeke. As far as Jones or Fournette goes, the answer to me is neither because I don't expect either to get a lot of passing game work because they can't catch. Seems like a big detriment if you're trying to get passing game work. And they're probably going to split the early down work. So if we're talking DFS, I want no piece of either. I would say, though, if we're talking season long and you want a guy who will get more predictable work, it's probably going to be Ronald Jones based on the fact he was the guy who got the first crack with the first team in the preseason. Yeah, that's an excellent point. People have asked me Jones versus Fournette. I'll tell you my answer, Jim. If Fournette gets hurt, that's the answer. Then it's wheels up for Jones. I was all aboard Ronald Jones last year. It was about a year ago, maybe a week earlier, when they signed Fournette, and I threw all the papers in the air. But (laughs) he's still the best rusher there. He is. And so, yeah, I agree. What do you think about CeeDee Lamb? A lot of people have been all over CeeDee Lamb earlier this year, talking about how he has the 100 catch-up side. A ton. I think the most slot snaps of any wide receiver last year. Where are you on Lamb in in a season-long perspective? Yeah, so I was talking about Mario and talking about how I think he's the top guy, and that is not an anti CD Lamb take on my part. It's more so a pro Amari Cooper take. I think that Got they're it. both awesome. And 
I think that they're both appropriate where they're going in drafts for season long stuff. So like, although I love Amari Cooper, it's not saying, you know, if see if I'm drafting here at the end of the second round, early third round, I'm not saying I'd avoid CD lamb there. It's more. So I just, I think Amari Cooper's underrated. I think that if I had to view them, I would say CD lamb properly rated right now, Amari mm-hmm. Cooper underrated and the yeah. Dallas offense in general underrated as well. Amari Cooper underrated. Great way to look at it. Do you have any hints with DFS defenses? We're all like Pavlov's dog. We go to our lineup. We fill it out. We get to defense and we go, I'll just take whatever's left over. Okay. But that's not necessarily case. You get a big defensive play. You get a couple interceptions, strip sack, fumble touchdowns. That can really swing you. What's your your path here with DFS defenses? Yeah. So I want to look for for games that that will include a lot of dropbacks. And that does often mean targeting games with higher totals because- When we see lower total games, it's often due to a lot of rushing attempts. Rush attempts are bad for defenses because it's really hard to score points on defense when the opposing team runs the football. So I want to identify situations where I think there will be a lot of dropbacks and preferably a lot of inefficient dropbacks. But, you know, I mean, I don't care as much about that. I'm just looking for volume. I want my defense to have chances to score points. I think that an important thing to, to keep in mind is the number of points allowed doesn't matter that much if you're looking for upside because like, you know, the difference between letting up 20 points versus 27 points isn't going to matter if they score two touchdowns and they're not going to score two touchdowns that they're not getting chances of scoring touchdowns. So to me, I would say totals are fine. It's fine to look at totals when you're trying to identify good defenses, but they're probably decently overrated by the public. So I would say be okay using defenses in high total games if you think that defense will be seeing a lot of dropbacks against a a rough passer who may take sacks, may let up interceptions. Um, just I think disregarding totals or, or lowering your emphasis on totals is a good thing for DFS in general. That's why we have Jim on, folks. That's DFS gold advice right there. It is counterintuitive. You do not want a team that's going to run the ball. Don't be afraid of a lot of passbacks. And there's a huge difference between making points with interceptions and fumbles and holding a team to a low total. Great advice, Jim. Appreciate that. Do you have a rookie that you've identified as a potential breakout player? Mine is Diame Brown, coming from North Carolina, signed with Washington, third-round pick, solid metrics ac- across the board, 4-5 speed at 185, and I just think it's a shallow depth chart. McLaurin's there, Curtis Samuel up and down, maybe more of a gadget guy, got hurt a little bit. I think Diame Brown could pop later in the year for folks in seasonal. Do you have a guy that you've seen in either best ball early in the season that you're saying, you know, second half of the year, this could be an issue? Yeah, I think that Josh Palmer is really interesting. He's not like the biggest workout guy, but they put some draft capital into him. And I think that that's enticing. And it's not, you know, you were talking about with Deami Brown, where there's not a lot of competition. There is a lot of competition for Josh Palmer. But the good thing is the situation is so good. I'm okay taking a slightly lesser workload because I want to tie guys to, to Justin Herbert. I want to tie guys uh, to their their new OC Lombardi. I want to tie guys to, to Staley. So I think that Josh Palmer is someone who looks really good. And it's not just the fact that he's tied to the good situation. Also, the camp buzz was good and it was early. Like if you can generate buzz early as a rookie in your first camp and lock down that number three wide receiver role, I think that's that's pretty intriguing. So maybe early season, you know, you know, Justin Herbert has that rapport with uh, with Keenan Allen. 
And uh, with Mike Williams, maybe Josh Palmer isn't, you know, cranking out like a 15% target share at that point. But I think down the road, we could see his role grow. And given the fact that he did show some talent in college, the, the Chargers seem to have liked him a lot in this process. I think that the potential for him to grow into a bigger role as the season goes along is definitely there. That is a superior answer. Folks, do you realize that Mike Williams in his career has never, for the Chargers, Caught 50 passes in a season. 11, 43, 49, 48. The concept that Mike Williams could either not produce, not have Jim the fifth-year Devontae Parker breakout that everybody wants, right? Right. But that somebody else could step into that role in a Charger offense that we love is not far-fetched. And I equate the Chargers to the Bills. Everyone loves Josh Allen. Everyone loves Justin Herbert. Everyone loves Stephon Diggs. Everyone loves Keenan Allen. Big year. So you say, well, who's the next uh, guy in the passing game? Nobody responds. There's some Donald Parham truthers. Okay. People are saying, oh, Emmanuel Sanders. So that other guy that could step forward would, could absolutely be Josh Palmer. That, that's a great call. Do you have a favorite video game growing up? So I only played like one non-sports game, which was The Sims, which is the dumbest, Ooh. lamest answer you could poss- possibly give. So that, that is unique. Wow. That is that is my answer. I played a lot of The Sims, uh, but like realistically more than that, I played like uh, they had this, I don't know if it's NASCAR Thunder. I don't recall the name of it, but I had like the steering wheel and like the 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 throttle and like the brake and everything. Like if you've yes. ever seen Mike Clay's setup, Mike Clay VSPN, big NASCAR guy, he does a lot yeah. of iRacing stuff. Mm-hmm. I had a similar rig when I was younger where I'd have like the steering wheel and all that. And it was a lot of fun. I love that. I would play my Madden obviously and play uh, MVP baseball, but the NASCAR one was really fun. The soundtracks on that were pretty good as well. Yeah. I know soundtracks are a big thing um, with video games, but NASCAR was the way that I skewed more so than a lot of other places. I wanted to try to get Elliot Sadler in victory lane because it wasn't happening in reality, so I had to make Very it happen funny. happen yes. uh, in, in the fake world instead and at least try to get there. The Sims is the truthful answer, but uh, I think NASCAR would be the number two there. Oh, superior. One of our loyal listeners, Pete Aquaviva, had this question. I've added it for the last four or five weeks. He says, you know, I want to start hearing some arguments against yourself. So he said, you know, obviously all you guys, fantasy analysts, we come up with the negative and then we just decide not to go with that. We decide to go with our gut. Can you pick a player that you love this year? Yeah and outline the counter argument as to why if you're wrong, this is why you would be wrong. Uh, It's very easy to do so Mm because I I like Chase Edmonds a lot. I think that Chase Edmonds is super fun because I think that there is the potential for him to be in an Austin Eckler type role from 2020. Now, when I say... 2020 Austin Eckler, you already know the negatives of that. So the the argument against Edmonds is obvious, where he's not going to get goal line work. That is the most obvious response and the counter argument to Edmonds here. But I think that with Edmonds, given that he's going to, I think, get a lot of early down work and be the pass catching back in that offense, he could have an Eckler type year where the yardage alone can make him have upside for DFS. And if he happens to score a touchdown from the seven yard line or whatever, because I think he could get that, that five to 10 yard range work, then it's going to be a great day. So that's the route to Chase Edmonds being a really fun option for season long, but also I think being relevant for daily fantasy. The counterpoint is he does as a goal line work and 
he's not dynamic enough in the passing game to be the, in the Austin Eckler mold. Because Eckler, we talk a lot about the, the raw targets, but it's also the kinds of targets he gets. He gets downfield work as a running back, which we don't see. So fitting the Austin Eckler mold involves a lot of things. I think that Edmonds has that within, within his range of outcomes, but I'm, I think that the obvious counter is he's not going to get goal line work. I know that, but also he may not get as dynamic of targets as Eckler gets. Going off the show sheet here, this came on my Twitter feed. Week one, seasonal, Ronald Jones or James Conner? Uh, Ronald Jones. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I think James Conner, you're praying for six points. Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. where I'm at with him for this year is you are praying he stumbles into the end zone. So his range of outcomes is like zero points to eight points. Whereas with Ronald Jones, like, you know, there's some talent there. Uh, there's some, some talent there facing a defense that I think would be better this year in Dallas, but still not a great defense. He could score a touchdown for sure. So I would say, I think that Ronald Jones is a full tier above James Conner, mostly because I have no interest in James Conner and Mm. think that Ronald Jones at least has talent, even if the role may not be that great. The home run threat, Jim. We've seen it. We've seen Ronald Jones bust some of those runs. Yep. If you go on Fear Factor, I'm dying to get like (laughs) Fantasy Football Survivor or Fantasy (laughs) Football Fear Factor. What's the one thing where you'd say, you know, I don't know about this. I can do this one. Yes. My wife and I have an an arrangement where I will deal with anything that's like rodent, rodent style. I'll deal with any spiders. I'll deal with like mice, stuff like that. If there is a bat, that's her problem. She can, she will deal with that. I can't do bats. We had a couple times when I was a kid, we had bats in my house. Like they had just gotten in because there was like some construction or whatever. And I left my mom and sister to dry. I was like, nope, I'm going down the basement. I am putting a blanket over my head. You guys can deal with this. I, I'm, it's not going to be me. So I, we, have, we have established this. It's an accepted agreement where I will get Love anything it. except for bats. If it's a bats, we are burning the house down or moving or I, whatever way, I'm not going to deal with it. I love it. That is original answer, and that's very honest. The the, arra- the arrangement in the marriage is is critical to yeah. your your mental. Listen, honey, ants, spiders, <laughs> rodents. I'm good. If it's flying, I'm out of here. Yep, exactly. I cannot have you on the pod and not look to steal and siphon DFS insight for week one because I want to win a million dollars and then do this every single day for sure. the rest of my life. So let's go position by position. Maybe give me a target and a fade, someone that's popped off. You say, you know what, I think that's a good value. And then maybe someone you have less exposure to. Start the signal caller position. That's where most people start. You may not start there, but most of the casual players do. Give me a, a target and a fade, a QB and DFS this week. I think the best tournament play at quarterback this week is Kyler Murray because the public often underinvests in quarterbacks who are slight underdogs. Like if you look back at mm. perfect lineups last year, more than a quarter of the quarterbacks in perfect lineups were underdogs by zero to five points. Kyler Murray is in that range. He runs the ball. He has upside. I love that game from a stacking perspective. I think Ryan Tannehill is tremendous too, but Kyler checks every box in terms of trying to find quarterbacks who will be undervalued by the public. I'm not saying... Don't go Mahomes. Don't go, you know, anyone else. I think just Kyler is like the the standout play at quarterback for tournaments for this week. The guy I'm likely to be lower on than consensus is Sam Darnold. I understand the enthusiasm there. I think that he'll be much better this year than he was last year. The problem is, although Darnold has some athleticism to him, he doesn't run that much. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I think the Jets are very interesting. We might talk about them a bit later on, but I'm not sure if they will right away 
be able to match them punch for punch, make this a super high scoring game. I think that the over was very in play earlier. It's gone up a bit, uh, but it's still like a lower total game. So you need like the purest of runs for Darnold to be in the perfect lineup. So I think that I, I I understand liking Darnold for this week. I think that the revenge game narrative is always something I uh, I can dig for <laughs> sure. I'm just okay being lower on him than consensus because the overall game environment is not quite as enticing to me. Those are great points. So you're saying that the Millie maker or the big quarterback for the week, 25% of the time last year came from someone who is a slight underdog. Yeah, whereas I think it was 6% of all popular quarterbacks were slight underdogs. Uh, it was, oh. if you look at the top three quarterbacks in uh, popularity each week on FanDuel and the Sunday Million, there were like, I think 10% of quarterbacks were underdogs, whereas I think it was 30% were underdogs in the perfect lineup. If you count the guys who were heavier underdogs, I don't really want a heavier underdog because it's probably a bad game environment for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that the slight underdog route where they are passing a lot, probably in a fun game environment, I think that that is a really fun route to attack. Let's go to the running back position. Have to start two, maybe three. Depends. Well, give me a, a target and a fade there at the running back position. Yeah, I think that Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, very obvious you want to go there. I think it's it's obvious you want to look at some of the guys who have benefited from injuries. But someone I think is just undervalued in terms of salary for this week is Najee Harris. And it, it's not going to be a situation where you look at him and be like, oh, yeah, I want to target this guy who's a six and a half point dog against a pretty good defense. But the role is stupid good. Or it's I expect it to be stupid good. And when you can get a guy who's going to play 90% of the snaps, get, let's say, 14 to 15 carries and get me six targets for $6,500, I think he'll wind up being super undervalued. So he's not going to check like the traditional boxes in terms of what, what, what you want from a running back, but the workload should be so good that his path to a ceiling game, again, focusing on ceiling, his path to a ceiling game is very, very obvious to me. As far as the guy I'm likely to be lower on is Nick Chubb. I think that uh, the role is tougher for DFS. You do want pass catching out of your running backs, especially if it's going to be a higher salary guy. You do see weeks where Derrick Henry pops. You do see weeks where uh, guys like Nick Chubb can pop, but it's not usually in situations where they're on the road facing a a really high scoring team. So I think that for me, I'm okay being lower on Nick Chubb, despite loving that game when I'm stacking it up, you know, I think that I'll be more inclined to skew towards the pass catchers versus Nick Chubb as the bring back option. Najee Harris has been a running back that I have tried to get in almost all of my seasonal drafts. I believe he is one of the few running backs that if he stays healthy for all 16 games, and I hate that caveat because that's true of any player. Look at Christian McCaffrey last year. I don't see with the owner's mandate, Tomlin's history, he's feeding Rashard Mendenhall the majority of carries. (laughs) The fact that Ben is, to me, Jim, Philip Rivers light in that he's not going to run. He's going to do a lot of dump-offs. Preseason teams declare their their intentions by their actions. Harris was always on the field when Ben was on the field, never came off. His volume is massive, and people will shy away from that because of the Bills. But at 6,500, he's one of those guys that has top three running back upside because of the touches he's going to get. Right, and I think that that's the key is you want that upside. You want that guy who has a big game firmly within his range of outcomes. And we can see, especially early in the year, you do see a lot of running backs who are underdogs emerge because 
lines are less efficient at that time. We see a lot of movement year to year. So I think that if you're if you're going to target backs in situations like that, the best time to do so is week one. I, I do think that the spread might be a little bit too wide. They're not betting the Steelers, uh, mm-hmm. but I do think I've got it at five and a half, I think, are my numbers. Uh, what that say, that game's a little bit closer than what uh, the bookmakers are saying, which could hopefully boost up the appeal for Harris a bit. What about wide receiver? Always tricky, and for the casual fan, those high-priced wide receivers seem so appealing. Target and a fade there at the wide-out position. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I could go DeAndre Hopkins because of Kyler, and I think that I will go there pretty often. But as far as a guy we have not discussed yet, who fits what I want, I said if I, you know, when I'm going at that Chiefs-Browns game, I didn't want to include Nick Chubb as a bring back. That's because I want to use Odell Beckham as a bring back yes. on the Browns. He's... He's down there in the mid-range at $6,500. The reports from camp are that he is looking like Odell Beckham. $6,500, good game environment, easy stack in there. Like if you go if you go Mahomes, Tyreek, and then put Odell in there, you're offsetting their cost of it because $6,500, a pretty low number for him. So Odell Beckham, the, I have like projections for projected offensive efficiency for an entire game. That is number one by a fairly significant margin for week one. So I want pieces of that game and Odell to me Great way to get there. The guy I'll be lower on is Terry McLaurin. I think that with Curtis Samuel being banged up, we'll probably see a lot of people gravitate towards him because of the target share, but I just don't like the game environment. Total in that game is uh, 44 and a half, and I think that that's an appropriate number. I'm not I'm not rushing towards the under, but I think it's an appropriate number. Uh, the one path to McLaurin being good is that both these teams may be kind of fast in terms of pace, and that could allow him to come through. Target share should be good, but I just don't think the overall game environment from a scoring perspective, is that great? So I can see it. I just think that I'll be underweight on him relative to the field as a result of the justifiably low total for that game. Yes, I agree with the Washington Charger game. I'm a little colder and have a little less exposure to players like Justin Herbert for that reason. I'm not into Fitz this week. I know there's always the temptation. If Fitz starts every year, I feel like Jim with some bomb. Remember he hit Deshaun Jackson against the Saints a couple of years ago? <laughs> I feel like the first touchdown is always Fitz hitting someone for a touchdown, but I agree that environment could be very, those are two good defenses. We know Washington's defense and people forget how good the Chargers defense was because players have been injured for so long. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, and I think that also you bring in Brandon Staley and the Mm -hmm. knowledge he has. And like, you look at the pieces the Chargers have, it's not, they might not be the Rams, but like they've got a similar build where they've got that, that stud Ed Rutcher. They've got that stud guy in the secondary. So I, I think that the Chargers defense being like top tier this year is, is something that could very easily wind up happening. Last position, tight end. This is always tough. Jim, before we do that one, do you have a favor to tight end builds? A lot of people talk about that because it's so unique. Very rarely do you put a tight end in the flex. Your thoughts on that, two tight end builds? I I don't tend to because tight ends don't have a lot of ceiling games. Like Kittle Kittle can, Kelsey can, Waller can, but it's tougher to get two guys who pop off in the same week. So you do get salary savings, which is good. Uh, But I think, if I'm looking at like the ceiling potential of a tight end versus a running back and a wide receiver, I'm going to skew towards the other skill guys every single time. Got it. All right. Targeting a fade there at tight end. 
I love George Kittle because I'm going to have the salary to burn at tight end this week because we do have guys like Najee Harris. I think that James Robinson's in play. I think that uh, we've got Chase Edmonds, I think could be viable for DFS this week too. So we've got some lower salaried running backs, which means I can allow myself to splurge on George Kittle. Uh, I was talking about my, you know, the game environment projections I have. The best projected offensive efficiency for this week is San Francisco, despite the fact that Jimmy G, because Kyle Shanahan is a master and Detroit is probably not going to be great defensively. So if I can get exposure to that offense, not deal with the uh, the dual threat running backs in, in uh, that they'll be work competing with there, I think that George Kittle at 7,000, really, really fun. A guy I'm okay prioritizing for this week. The guy I'm not on, despite what looks like a good game environment, is Dallas Goddard. I think it's for very obvious reasons. You know, Zach Ertz, going to be playing a lot of first team reps with that team. Goddard, and Jim, Zach Ertz is cheap this week. Yeah. Uh, this may be, you know, if he ends up having a decent week, this is the cheapest he's going to get. I, I I don't know how you go Goddard over Ertz. I get it, Ertz. But right. what we've seen in the preseason, for him to get 3X is much less than what Goddard would have to do. Right, exactly. Goddard's $5,900. So I don't think he's going to be very popular, but I think it's a game people will go towards. People maybe use Jalen Hurts and want to stack him up. When you do so, and I think the Hurts is fine. I'm not saying don't use him. I'm saying when you do stack him skew towards Devonte smith skew toward maybe you go Ertz, maybe you stack with miles sanders and just get a lot of the overall production of that team but i would be okay even if i have like a lot of hertz lineups i am okay glossing over goddard within those stacks uh, a question here about the steelers from a listener if we have good ben roethlisberger how would you rank the receiving targets the question is Deontay Johnson, do we ignore the drops? Chase Claypool, does he get more volume after having incredible efficiency last year? That sort of thing. And if Ben struggles, does that change your mind at all for the Steeler pass catchers? Yeah, I think that it has to because, you know, we want guys who are going to push the ball deep. And if this offensive line struggles again from their from a pass blocking perspective, they're not going to be able to go deep as often. That's why I think that Claypool is really fun uh, because He's going to get the kind of targets you want. I know that with Najee there, he's Claypool will no longer be what was. I mean, I called him their goal line back last year because that's yes. effectively what he was. He's not going to be that this year with with Najee Harris being there. But I, I still think that they're they were telling us that they liked him by getting him those high leverage chances, both targets and you know some rush attempts too. So I think that I like Claypool a tiny bit more than Deontay. I'm not worried about the drops because Ben has shown he trusts him. He He's shown that he'll, he'll feed in volume even when the drops are there. So to me, I have Claypool by a hair over Deontay, and then Juju's a tier below because I don't think that Juju has the path to being as high volume as Deontay or getting as many high leverage looks as Claypool. Next, I'm going to take the L on this one. I was beating the drum for Taysom Hill. My argument was that if Taysom was getting a lot of work in the red zone, Jim, which he certainly yeah. was with a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees, he's not going to be limited by a quarterback that the last time we saw him threw 30 interceptions in a season. But Jameis Winston get, did get the nod despite, for me, it's just two deep passes to Marcus Callaway against the Jaguars at home. Where do you think this is going to go with Winston and Hill? I still feel like Hill will have fantasy viability at some point, whether it's a Winston self-destruction or an injury. But right now, it certainly seems like it's Jameis Winston's show. How do you see the quarterback situation in New Orleans playing out? I think from a fantasy perspective, it's going to be really tough to get super jazzed about Jameis. And Jameis is someone who 
has the archetype you want. He's aggressive, throws the ball deep, really good um, coaching staff there. The problem is we're probably still going to see Taysom Hill get some high leverage looks and like you need touchdowns from quarterbacks. And whereas Taysom Hill most likely to get his usage in the red zone. So that's a pretty big detriment to Jameis's outlook. Also, the pass catchers, they're really, really, really thin. Uh, The offensive line is great. That does help for sure. But I think when you look at the pass catchers there, it's a pretty big negative. So when you combine the potential for Hill to get high leverage looks and the potential for Winston to not be super efficient as a result of the bad pass catchers there, I think that's enough where I'm okay, you know, missing out. If Jameis has a big game, I'm okay missing out because I think that the there are enough red flags where I, I have questions around the ceiling for Jameis. Yeah, if you want to wait until the Saints host the Falcons, Jim, with Jameis, <laughs> I have no problem with that. But for right now, it's a stay away. This flew by. Last question, then we will get you out of here, sir. Just amazing stuff. I want the bold prediction. I want the Jim Saunas prediction. We look back and I put on YouTube here and we're just celebrating how accurate it was. Go ahead. What do you got? I think that the Jets offense can be fun for fantasy and they have not been fun for it's a very vague uh, bold prediction, but I think that they're going to be fun in the sense that I think Zach Wilson should play pretty well this year. I think that as we get further in the year, Elijah Vera Tucker gets back up to speaks. He missed a lot of time during camp, but if you put hopefully a healthy Mekhi Beckton, he's been kind of a weird camp too, but if you put him next to Elijah Vera Tucker, a rebuilt offensive line, I think a pretty sharp coaching staff with Corey Davis, with Elijah Moore, I think they could be pretty fun. So that's why I have such close, such a close eye on that running back split, because I think that if one guy winds up earning a larger share of that backfield, they could be pretty fun. And, you know, I think that this this Jets team is one that I am very interested in because I have faith in Zach Wilson. I think that I have faith in this coaching staff, too. They've got some good skill players. As long as Becton can kind of, you know, get get himself back into shape from what was going on in camp, I think this offense is going to be one we go to in DFS, at least down the stretch, as being one we have multiple guys we feel pretty okay using. Folks, Jim Sana, senior writer and analyst for Number Fire FanDuel, betting and DFS content. If you have a question, let him know about it on Twitter. He's always responsive, one of the nicest guys in the industry, at Jim Sanis, S-A-N-N-E-S. Great insight, robust answers. We flew through this. I could keep you for two more hours, but that's yeah. being selfish, Jim. Thank you so much for a few minutes. We will definitely have you back on the back soon. This was great. I am excited. Thank you, Mike. It was a lot of fun for me too. And I am excited to just talk some some real football again. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.